Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. It's good to be back here in Woodland Centre sharing the Word of God with us. The last time I was here, I think it was the middle of June, uh, and we were in the book of Daniel. I gave the second sermon on Daniel 6. Um, and then after that, we took a long break from Daniel, isn't it? We then went into a long series on our life in God's hands, a very useful topical series. But today, say hooray, hooray, we are resuming the Daniel sermon series. This is the first of three messages on Daniel 7. Before we begin, I have a question to ask you. How many of you like road trips? Show of hands. Road trips. Now, in 2017, I joined the one-year internship here uh, with the IDMC Institute in Covenant EFC, and one of the highlights of this was our silent retreat up in Pahang. How do you get there? Road trip, huh? And before we got spiritually fed up there, we wanted to be ready, so made sure we were physically fed. So I kid you not, we took four meals before we got there at 3.30. Before we crossed the causeway, got to have breakfast. After you cross the causeway, very strenuous, second breakfast, wonton mee. Then early lunch, which was bakute. And late lunch, A&W all ready to meet God after that, or meet our bed. Now, why am I telling you this? Just to say that I'm so proud of my fellow interns for knowing all the pit stops along the way on this long journey. Now, when we journey through the book of Daniel, it's like a road trip. Uh, and when we drive through the first six chapters, it's kind of familiar, right? Even before this year, I'm sure many of us knew some of the stories. Daniel Alliance then, for sure, the writing on the wall. But then we cross the boundary into chapter 7. And it's just strange territory. It's a challenging drive. Chapters 7 to 12 are, are much more difficult to interpret. It's just like that. And I know some of us here have been leading our, our CG Bible studies on Daniel 7 to 12 already, ahead of the pulpit calendar. And you're like struggling, right? Because what's going on in the text, we ask ourselves. So before we start our time in Daniel 7, I want to give us some handles to understand the second half of Daniel as a whole. Now, the first thing we need to understand is that Daniel 7 is a hinge. It's a hinge between the first and second half of the book. Now, one way of describing the first half of the book is that they are all about court tales, tales from the Persian court, the Babylonian court. Relatively easy for us to understand, to visualize. But then we get to chapters 7 to 12, and we come to the realm of cosmic tales. Cosmic. Literally out of this world, uh, featuring very supernatural beings. Fantastic beasts can be found here. These are the OG fantastic beasts. I'll give you one example. Now, in uh, Daniel 6, we meet a bunch of ordinary, plain vanilla lions in a den, waiting for their next meal. Daniel 7, we see 
a strange lion with wings. We see angelic messengers. All of these things point us to the fact that when we get to chapter 7 to 12, we enter a class of biblical writings called apocalypse or apocalyptic literature. And this gives us a good grasp of what is to come. It gives us a roadmap. So here in Daniel 7, one apocalyptic vision. In Daniel chapter 8, number two apocalyptic vision. And in fact, the two are very closely linked, the first and the second. There are motifs like the horn, which, which move us from one to the other. And then a long, long one, Daniel 10 to 12. As simple as that. You've got three apocalyptic visions, and you understand Daniel, or do we? I'm sure you're asking now, okay, you tell me this, all right, it's a bit, of, it's a bit simple. But what on earth is an apocalyptic vision? What's the definition of apocalypse? I first encountered this word apocalypse as a child. I was going to show you a picture of this apocalypse, but I can't because Marvel copyright. So this apocalypse came from the Marvel cartoons, which I loved. And this was a big, ugly supervillain. Every time you see him, nothing good happens. But regardless of whether you're an X-Men fan like me or not, most people associate the word apocalypse with doomsday, the end of the world. But in the biblical context, apocalypse means something quite different. It actually comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, which means revelation. It's actually the first word in the book Revelation, the last book of our scriptures. It means making fully known. And so you're going to ask, well, what exactly does it make known? It makes known unseen, eternal, supernatural reality, greater and truer than what our eyes can see. And today, in our reflection and meditation, we'll be thinking about this idea of vision. What do we see? What do we see? In Daniel 7, we, we, uh, we first encounter this plane of earth, as it were, with thrones that rise and fall, and then we're lifted up to a much higher plane where God reigns, where God rules over all the mess, the muck in your life and my life, all the mess of the world. That's the true vision. And so because we have this upward movement, we have entitled this morning's message, Living with a Higher Vision. Now, you may be asking, well, okay, Daniel 7, okay, beast, interesting lah, theoretically interesting, but very esoteric. I've got real life things to worry about. My mortgage, my work, my child's PSLE science open-ended question, how to get the two marks. And you're like, what does all of this have to do with our life? My friends, my simple answer is, it has everything to do with our lives. Because perspective is key to living well. Perspective is key to living well. You know, when we read the apocalyptic text, we gain a true perspective through the lens of heaven. And we're able to see what truly matters so we can live for what truly matters. Let me say that again. We are able to see what truly matters and so able to live for what truly matters. You know, what we see determines how we live. It affects the past we choose. Let me, let me tell you another driving story from my life to illustrate this. Now, about 15 years ago, I first got my license. 
and I was moving merrily along on the PIE, Penn Island Expressway, and suddenly the rain came down in sheets. It was so bad, you could barely see the car in front of you. Every car had their hazard lights on. And I was a rookie driver. So all the while I was like gripping the steering wheel, terrified, saying, don't crash, don't crash, don't crash. You see, I couldn't see, so I found it very hard to move, right? What you can see determines how you live. So here's my loving question to us this morning. What's your vision like today? I'm not talking about your eyesight, but your spiritual vision. What's your vision like? And what spiritual vision drives your life? So this morning, rather than give us two, three points, which is the usual fare for a sermon, I want us to just think about one big question. Okay, We just look at this question on the slide. Is your vision of life controlled by this finite world or God's infinite kingdom? Let that sink in. Is your vision of life controlled by this finite world or God's infinite kingdom? That's one question. The only question we have to think about today. Let's take the first part of this question. You might be thinking, duh, of course the world controls us, uh, controls our life to some extent. Now, when news of the coronavirus broke in February 2020, right, and government told us, no need to panic buy. What did everybody do? Panic buy straight away, especially toilet paper, right? Because I can't control this uh, pandemic. I don't understand this virus, but I better make sure my family has enough toilet paper. Now, the audience that first read Daniel's vision, a bit like us, they were God's chosen people, but they were also afraid. They were also afraid of things that they could not control. And they experienced it personally. They were wrenched out of their homeland by a power much greater than Israel. They could only return to their decimated homes when Cyrus the king said, okay, totally out of their control. So turn with me in your text to Daniel chapter 7. Let's open up our scriptures. Uh, we develop this habit together as God's people, honoring the word of God. Daniel chapter 7 tells us something about these powerful world forces beyond the control of God's people. So we're going to start from Daniel 7 verse 1. Allow me to read this for us together. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then I looked as its wings were plucked off, it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side, three ribs in its mouth, between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. 
And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it and had ten horns. Now this passage is more dramatic than anything Hollywood could throw at us. As you are, if this was your morning quiet time passage, in all likelihood, you're like, what's going on? Ah? Four bees coming out of the sea. If you're confused, guess what? You're not alone. Daniel himself, who received the vision, he was confused. He was so puzzled, he was anxious. And he had to ask the angel to interpret this for him. But here's the good news. We're not left to guess what it means. Because the angel's answer comes to us in verses 17 and 18. Shall we all read this together? Uh, it's important for us. Okay, we read on the count of three. One, two, three. The, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. So the text is clear. It interprets itself. Right? The four beasts represent... Four kings, but not just four individuals, but four kingdoms. Which four kingdoms? Well, the same four that we saw back in Daniel 2. So let's have a quick recap on that. So Nebuchadnezzar dreamt of this big statue, remember, with a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, middle and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, feet mixed of iron and clay. And many biblical scholars believe that the lion, the bear, the leopard, the fourth beast represent exactly the same four kingdoms. Babylon, Media, Persia, and Greece. Now these are no backwater countries we have to understand. These were global empires and the, their very existence marked out historical eras. But we know from the scriptures and from history that these kingdoms, these empires were finite. Not just formidable, but finite. Finite in their duration, firstly. When you see this table, it looks like data, right? But I see a Game of Thrones. Kingdoms rising, falling, one beast coming after another. Let me tell you a story about the Persian Empire. One of the most famous kings was Darius the Great. Now, Darius was a genius administratively, military leader. He revolutionized the economy, the legal system, all fantastic achievements. He stopped the civil war. And so this guy believed he was the ultimate rock star of all time. And he believed that with his reign, he was like this eternal king transcendent king. And he also believed that the Persian monarchy was going to last forever and ever. But 156 years after the reign of Darius the Great, Persia exited the stage of world history because the Greeks came into the Persian capital, looted it, burned it to the ground. So the kingdoms, finite in their duration, but also finite in their power. Let's look at the text again. 
Right? When we, we come to God's word, we don't put our ideas in, we see what's in the text itself. And we find that the verses don't talk about what the beasts actually do, but what was done to them. And all, they're almost portrayed like puppets in the hand of a puppet master. So look at um, the winged lion, that's Babylon. The wings were plucked off, made to stand up and given the mind of a man, almost a, a comical description. And of course, this is a, a, a flashback back to Daniel chapter 4, where the king was uh, humbled and later restored in his sanity. Now look at the fourth beast. fourth beast is Greece. Very different from the others. Its actions are recorded. It destroys, it devours. And we look at the historical record. It is true because the Greek conqueror king Alexander the Great, if I could have the next slide on, he was a, a conqueror who won every single battle that he led. And by the end of his reign, this was a, a vast empire, stretching from mainland Greece all the way to modern Pakistan. Fantastic. But then one of the most well-known events in world history happened. At the age of 32, Alexander the Great dropped it. Historians don't actually know why. Maybe he was poisoned. Maybe he suddenly took ill. But whatever the case, the mighty devourer was devoured. Now, after Alexander the Great, the Greek Empire didn't just fold up. Uh, it descended into civil war. Um, and there were more kings that came in different parts of Greece. But eventually, the entire empire was snuffed out by Rome. Now, for some of us, we hear these stories about ancient history. And we remember our, our history classes back in school. We remember that they were really good at curing insomnia. And you think, ah, oh, this great power politics, what has it got to do with me? It happened so long ago, but my life is today. Friends, I love history because uh, it enlarges our perspective of our life, precisely because of this. It helps us to see our world today. It's all about seeing. Now, here's a thought that struck me as I reflected on Daniel 7 and these world empires. I share this question with you. Now, if these great empires were finite, how much more are we finite? I'll ask you again. If these great empires were finite, how much more are we finite? Now, sometimes we really struggle to come to terms with the fact that we are finite. You know, we are, we are often unhappy that our resources, our time, energy, money is finite. Sometimes we uh, realize that even our moral willpower is finite. That means there's good that we want to do, but we don't do it, we do the exact opposite. And when we see things that happen on our national stage, political leaders falling morally, we know we can't cast the first stone because we're just as finite as them. And ever so often, we personally come to that realization that our health is finite. A few weeks ago, I was supposed to participate in the New Life Charity Run. 
And the timing is so perfect. The day before the run, I was driving here at the Woodland Centre. It was one of our East Blackout Sundays. And I was reaching back in my car. I wanted to get something. It was at a red light. I wanted to pick something out of my bag and bring it to the front. I lifted my heavy bag like this and immediately realized, oh, what a terrible idea. <laughs> Within two hours, standing up was painful. I was leading the service that day. Walking up the stairs was painful. The next day, sitting up in bed was painful. I had to text the rest of the brothers in my running group, sorry, I'm calling it off. I tell you, I was frustrated. I trained for this, you know. I wanted to serve God, raise the funds and all of that. But I was finite. I was finite. And God had to deal with that in my heart and, and just call me to surrender this to Him. Here's my question to you, brothers and sisters. Are you dealing, confronted with your finiteness today? Are you? And if so, don't run away from your finiteness. Will you allow God to use your finiteness to remind you of a very important thing, that this finite world, what you can see, can't be all that there is. Will you allow God to use your finiteness to give you a higher vision, to point you to a higher vision, because you are made for something more than this, an eternal and infinite kingdom. So here's the big question again, my friends. Is your vision of life controlled by this finite world or God's infinite kingdom? Is your vision of life controlled by this finite world or God's infinite kingdom? Now we come to the second part of this question. And the very idea of the infinite or infinity is a very fascinating idea because even five-year-olds understand it. I know because I have a five-year-old at home. Elijah turns five today. Today is his birthday. And every so often in the playground, you would hear uh, this kind of conversation going on between one five-year-old and another. First one starts, I have ten toys. The next one, so, I have hundred toys. They reach for the next highest number, escalation. I have 1,000 toys. So what? I got 1 million toys. Then the trump card comes out. I have infinity toys. I have infinity times infinity toys. <laughs> this is an infinity war. And both of them end up running to their parents. My friends, we worship and serve a God who is infinite. Amen. And His reign is infinity times infinity. You can call it that. Let's look at verses 9 and 10 together. Uh, because they give us an eyewitness account of an infinite throne room. Allow me to read for us. Daniel writes, As I looked, Thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, 
and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. Now, the good news is I won't go through this in detail uh, because Senior Pastor Tony will share his insights next week. But for now, let's imagine, okay, that's the purpose of an overview, right, to get us to feel the text. Right, so imagine this dazzling scene, the blazing fire around the throne. What did Daniel see in his imagination? What did he see in his memory? I think he remembered the fire in the history of Israel, the burning bush where God revealed himself, the pillar of fire that led the people of God through the wilderness. Fire always represents the revelation of God the self-disclosure of God. And this God will come again to show himself one more time at the end of the age as the judge, as the king. Now, but as we read this vision, there's a surprising twist to the throne vision because here is an eternal king already throne. But there's a coronation service in the throne room. Somebody else is also receiving a crown, one like a son of man. And by the way, that means somebody who looks like a human being. And God gives him kingship. Let's look at this in verses 13 and 14. Again, I'll read this to you. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Wow, fascinating. Who is this one like a son of man? Come next week to find out. Sorry for the cliffhanger, okay? But for today, I, I share with you one more twist in the passage. Now, this one is important for our consideration today, but also to understand the whole of the book of Daniel. So let's look at uh, Daniel 7, verse 27. Um, and we are going to read this together because it's significant. Okay, so on the count of three, one, two, three. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Surprise, another coronation service. But this time, it's the saints of the Most High given the greatness of God's kingdom. Well, this is pretty surprising. Right in the first half of today's message, I told you that we are finite, isn't it? Why then is the infinite kingdom entrusted to us? tell you something even more shocking. God calls you and me, my friends, the saints of the Most High. Saints of the Most High. But we live so often just the opposite way, isn't it? We are unsaintly. We are stained with our, our sin. We are stained with our pride, our greed, our lust, our envy and all of that. What do you see when you look at yourself, my friends? We see finiteness, isn't it? What does God see when he sees you? 
He sees a saint. He sees a saint. Not just any saint. A saint as beloved, as beautiful as the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This is the heart of the gospel. We cannot miss this. We cannot miss this. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you are a saint. Now, if you're a wife saying it to your husband, try not to roll your eyes. Okay. <laughs> now, not just are we saints, but God also entrusts His kingly authority to us. You know, it doesn't mean that we feel superior as a result. Quite the opposite. We have the privilege. We have the privilege of living humbly before God, of being included in His kingdom purpose. To be given the kingdom means that we have the privilege and right to lead others to know and love our King. I want to share with you a practical opportunity to do this. Now, many people have questions about the faith, but have nowhere to ask them. And so, we have this thing called online alpha. If you know somebody who is struggling, and there are people that you will know, invite them to this. Sign up and ask your friend to sign up. Because this is a safe space for them to know the king. They can even come online, switch off their video for three sessions, remain anonymous, but safely ask their questions. Serve the king. Now, whether it's Alpha or some other ministry, would we choose to live as saints of the Most High? Would we choose to live with a higher vision, to see as God sees? Or will we settle for something much lower? God actually offers us the choice today. Allow me to conclude our thoughts this morning. You know, many of us will say, of course, of course I want to live with a higher vision. How can anybody disagree with that? Of course I want to live as somebody in the kingdom. But here's the thing, right? Our aspirations and our actions often very far apart, isn't it? Ray Simpson puts it this way. He says that our lives are so dominated by the immediate pressures of life that we find it hard to live in the perspective of eternity. And that's reality. That's our human condition. That the finite things of life have a much greater hold on us than God's kingdom. I know this because it's true of my life, especially as a younger man. Let me share a bit of my story with you. I hope it encourages you. Now, I, I was blessed to have a, a government scholarship. So I went to study and I didn't have to worry about finding a job after that. Okay, but the deal was... Just do well, and whenever post I uh, was given, there's a hoop place in front of you, you just jump through hoops, jump through hoops again and again and again. And then you would be on this upward escalator, you would get more pay over time, job progression and so on. I started off as a teacher in ACJC, uh, teaching general paper. Then I went to uh, Ministry of Education headquarters, and I enjoyed all these stints did well. But most of all, I, I really loved it when I got recognition and applause for doing well. 
See, my, my self-worth, I don't know if you feel this way, it was tied very much to what I could achieve, even though it was fleeting. And all this while I was serving in church, I came to Covenant in 2008 and was leading a young adult CG, and my, my pact with God was this, I serve you, you just bless all these other areas of my life. I look back, I, I know that back then I did love God. I did, I really did. But my vision of life was driven by something else. The treasures of the world. The pressures of the world. That was the fundamental shaping force in the vision of my life. And I only found out when I got posted out of the Ministry of Education to another place I shall not name, I started to struggle, flounder, gasp for air. This place, the work didn't agree with my training as an educator, didn't agree with my inclination or personality. And so, three times, different bosses called me into their office, not to pat me on the back, but to say, you better pull up your socks. You better pull up your socks. And to me, I was disoriented, you know. I was like, hey, this is not how this, it's supposed to work out. I, I thought I was a rising star. I was really proud. Why is this happening? So what I do? I dig in my heels, huh? try even harder, work even harder. But what happened after that? I made even more mistakes. Because I was fueled by almost a like kind of rage. And I grew emotionally distant at home. My wife, Pam, suffered. My mental health took a hit. Well, it was in this season then that God gently brought me to live with a higher vision. I don't know if this story resonates with you. Maybe sometimes it takes, it takes a shaking like that. And the, the, the struggle revealed what was inside, revealed the true nature of what my vision was. And in this season, there were many godly mentors, one of whom is Pastor Kai, who has really been a, a shepherd through that time, a coach in many things, even preaching. I'm grateful that there were people who came along to help me see. And a couple of years after this, when, when I was doing better in my work and emotionally as well, God called me on this journey to process a full-time uh, service to Him. That's a story for another day. But today, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I can stand before you and speak not from a position of pride, but of humility, calling us to live with a higher vision. Here's my pastoral heart for you. Living with a higher vision is something you must learn. It doesn't happen overnight. We slowly get there. Here's another thing. It's not just difficult. It's actually impossible by our own strength. Because you cannot manufacture vision. You cannot. You need the revelation of God. You need the love of Christ. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. So my friends, today I pray for you the, 
the greatest blessing you could have in life, which is the ability to see and to live with a higher vision. We're going to respond with a song, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart. But let's first bow in prayer, prepare our hearts. Come, let's bow and pray together. I want to give us a moment of just, just silence before God. God's been speaking to many of us throughout this whole service. And whatever God has placed in your heart, would you just hold it there, hold it before you, and say, God, I will, I will obey. Help me. Help me. Help me. We all just stand together. Shall we stand? And I want us to do this. Just, just put your hands out in front of you. As a posture of openness before God. As a posture of saying, God, I need your Holy Spirit. As a posture of saying, God, I cannot see. I cannot manufacture vision. I cannot manufacture vision for my life. Holy Spirit, fill us now. Fill us now. Fill us now. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. spent some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.